Eggers. Ooh, do we have another week on tap? Lollygagging Sports. I am your host, Bo Reed, along with uh, Samantha Button and Matthew Irby. We got another fun show on tap for you guys tonight. Let's start, Samantha. Let's start with baseball. We've finally. <laughs> we were hoping for this for the show last week, but we didn't get it. Uh, we finally got some news. Uh, we we we've had. Uh, are we calling it a flurry? Is it's not a flurry of signings yet, right? It's just it's just a handful. Can we call it a handful? Is that where we're at here? I don't know. There's a lot of big names. Like, seems pretty significant to me. Yeah, but is it a actually... A lot of big fish. Is it, is it actually a full-fledged flurry? Like, like you hear that you know, the phrase all the time with baseball, especially. It's like a flurry of signings. Is it a flurry? Do we even... I don't even think we have that in baseball anymore. I, I think a flurry would be more applicable to, like, legal tampering in the NFL. <laughs> okay, that's fair. <laughs> I'll give you that. All right, well, let, I'll tell you what. Let's, let's kick this off. Um... Let's start with the pitchers because there's been some some movement, I would say, <laughs> with the pitchers. Of course, you know, at the top of the market, uh, Jacob DeGrom and, and Justin Verlander uh, would, would be considered the top of this particular market. And we, we saw DeGrom sign on Friday with Texas. It's a five-year deal worth 185, could grow to 6 222. And then Verlander comes in on the first full day. Well, it's actually the second full day. No, hang on. Everyone's traveling on Sunday. The first full day of the winter meetings, and Verlander comes in at two years, $86 million. The Verlander deal I don't think surprises anybody, but DeGrom did. And it, it, it did so because of the years. The money was about right for DeGrom. That, that's what we were expecting him to get in terms of an AAV. But Texas goes five years when everyone, everyone else, Samantha, seemed to be at three. What, what are your impressions on that one? Um, I don't know. I have mixed feelings about this. I mean, I guess, all right, so I'll start with DeGrom then. Um, yeah, I have mixed feelings. Um, I think if you wanted him, this was what it was going to be. Um, you know, Boris, <laughs> it's going to be a longer deal. Um, I think we were all, you know, I suppose we should say that we were not surprised that he went to Texas. Um, you know, Boris Corp has such a good relationship with that front office, so that's not particularly surprising. So I don't know that they necessarily went longer than anyone else would have gone because I'm pretty sure that was what it was going to take. So the first place that he wanted to go that offered it was Texas. So that's where he ended up. I, I think it's too long. I mean, it's. I guess it depends how you look at it. Is it too many years? Of course it is. Consider the injury history of the player. Um, by contrast, you also have to consider that that injury history took place with the Mets. Um, so that's not necessarily going to repeat in Texas. But it could Right, we're we're about to find out whether that was like a nature nurture thing. Um, obviously, the arm is the arm, but how much of that was mismanagement? We're about to find out because Texas is going to yeah. take good care of him. 
Mm-hmm. So we're about to, you know, who knows? I mean, if, if the same thing happens, then yeah, the contract is a disaster. I don't think it will. I think the Mets were responsible for a lot of that. So I think it's going to be fine. But in the end, ultimately, I think the way you have to look at it is take the total value of the contract and divide it by those three years. Those three years where you expect him to be a peak contributor. What's the AIB then? Can you live with that? When you're paying the money out, is irrelevant because there is no salary cap in baseball. So divide it over the years that you expect to see peak production from the player, not the number of years he's actually under contract. Because, like we say, flags fly forever. If you end up getting good production out of him during the time where it matters in those three years, are you really going to care if technically some of that money gets paid out later when he's not really very useful anymore? Of course you're not. Well, I mean, if you look at the deal, it's, it's very central loaded. Like it's not front or back; it's more like years two and three. And I, I'm wondering. I, I'm going to ask Irby the same question here, but I, I'm wondering what your take is on this because you know, the Rangers, if you look at the farm system, the way they line up, I, I think you you can really start to see why they're spending so much money uh, over the you know last offseason. They signed Bellinger and Simeon and Gray combined. It was about half a billion dollars. Now they now they sink they sink. 185 in on on Degrom, uh, I think the the real risk isn't necessarily with Degrom. It's more so with Texas is clearly banking on guys like Kumar Rocker. Um, why am I blinking? Uh, Jack Leiter. Uh, they're banking on these up and coming prospects. To pan out that way, if there is a problem with Degrom's arm, especially in say 2024, 2025, they've got these arms are ready to go, and, and Degrom is suddenly not having to carry this staff, so to speak. That's that to me is where the risk is. I mean, yeah, Degrom's going to hit the DL. We all know he's going to hit the DL. Of course, he's going to hit the DL. But is the real risk Texas banking on their pitching prospects as opposed to Degrom's money? Well, sure. Yeah, to an extent. Although, I mean, these are both first-round picks who are looking like they're going to be exactly who we expected them to be. So the risk is essentially the same as it is for anyone else. Do they get hurt? Which is the exact same risk that you take with every single player who you count on to contribute. So I don't know that I think it's necessarily a high-risk proposition. I mean, would you really want them to be super conservative and say, well, let's wait, let's wait, let's wait, because if you let's wait it on every prospect, where you weren't 100% certain how things were going to go, you're probably never going anywhere. It's going to be too late by the time you're out there trying to sign people. So, you know, you also, you go get Heaney, right? Like, that's insurance. That is an insurance policy at a modest price. So that's smart, right? Like, it's an Mm -hmm. extra piece. So, and to me, it's like, people really need to stay away from, not you, I know you know this, but people in general need to stay away from the idea of like, well, is it front loaded? Is it back loaded? Like, when are they paying him? It doesn't matter when they're paying him. The only thing that matters, the only context in which when, which year, which amount of money goes to is whether or not the team can afford to pay the other people they need to pay in that particular year. But because we don't have a salary cap and there's no dead cap, we don't mess with that stuff like we have to deal with in the NFL, it doesn't matter when he gets the most money. He could get the most money in the least predictable productive year of the contract and as long as the least productive year of the contract does not match up with when they need him to be productive 
then it doesn't matter. The money's the money. Whatever is guaranteed on that contract is getting paid to him one way or the other. It doesn't make a lick of difference when he gets what percentage of it. It only matters if the overall value is worth it per year for the number of years in which you need him to be a productive player. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Andrew Heaney because you know that was obviously the signing late today. Two years, $25 million, uh, Texas gives Andrew Heaney with an opt-out after year one. This is clearly, if you're Heaney's camp, you're thinking that you know, that, that little snippet that we saw from him last year is actually going to be the status quo going into this year. And, Irby, let's bring you in on this discussion because, obviously, you know, we know what DeGrom is. Heaney, for me, is, is, is a little bit more of a risk, I think, than, De, than DeGrom is. But you put the two of them together. And you add in that you know Texas trades for Odorizzi. They, you know, they, they, they keep Martin Perez. You still have John Gray. And you've got all this young pitching Coming up, like, like, like the, the Rangers' chances going into next year really does hinge on what they get out of DeGrom and Heaney. Because if you get a full season based off of the snippets that we saw from Heaney and DeGrom last year, Texas all of a sudden has a very competitive rotation. Yeah, uh, both picks you know, make, make a lot of sense for what, what they're doing. Like the, the Heaney one, I'll do that one there first. Um, real quick, this is something that we have seen from the Rangers front office. I know there's been the changeover, but this is something that they have done and they've done successfully in the past few years. Lance Lynn, Mike Miner, Kyle Gibson, you know, they turn these pieces into something, uh, you know, and, and, and rebuild their career, basically. And, and that's what we're seeing from um, the 31-year-old Andrew Heaney. Yeah, last year it was great. Look, very solid numbers. The peripherals are very solid. Let's see if he can do it for more than 72 innings in a whole season. But that's what you do is you go get a guy to do something like that, to eat those innings and see where he's at. Because if the Rangers aren't, you know, it, it, I, I feel like they're going to be competitive and Heaney's there. And if he leaves after a year, so be it. But you've got that for a couple of years. And, and that's in place while you continue to develop the the winds and the lighters and the, you know, rocker you mentioned as well, guys like that. With DeGrom, um, you know, this is, <laughs> I, I've been on here before uh, talking about when I talk about the 49ers and I'm choosing joy with Christian McCaffrey. I'm doing the same thing here, choosing joy and the excitement. There are tons of risks. We could spend plenty of time with the risk. Everybody out there knows the risk. Okay. So let's, let's all, we all, we all know it. Everybody raise your hands. Everyone knows it. Cool. We all know the risk. Of it. Awesome. If you want to be back, if you want to prove that you are going to compete, if you want to take that next step forward, you take these risks because the rewards far outweigh the risks. Will he be hurt? Yes, it's going to happen. But can you have? Can you be a division-winning team, a successful team in October without a pitcher like DeGrom? No, you can't. You need pieces like this. And it's the same thing. The Ranger fans saw this in 2011. I'm um, sorry, 2010 with Cliff Lee. They haven't seen it since. So here is an opportunity. He will miss some time, but there will be more than enough times that if he is healthy in October, lining up a game one or a game five that you need to win, you're feeling pretty damn good about it with Jacob DeGrom taking the mound. You know, um, real quick before we pivot to, to Verlander, Samantha, I, you know, I, I said this on Sunday when we, when we were saying the show. Um, you know that, that I thought a lot of Degrom was the you know putting butts in the seats, but you know I, I think the one thing that that has been pointed out um, 
and maybe is actually the big piece of communication. You look at the Rangers the last couple of months. You know, they go out, they get Bruce Bochy, who's got all of the all of the credibility in the world that you want. You go out, you sign a guy like Jacob. This is not just about butts in the seats. This is about communicating to other players around baseball that Texas is a good place to go to. It's not just that, you know, yeah, they took a step forward last year. They weren't quite as bad. They weren't last place. It's still not appealing to these top free agents unless you bring in a Bruce Bochy, unless you bring in a Jacob DeGrom. Oh yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, there's and, and you were right on Sunday too. There, there's a butts and seeds element to this. I mean, it you can certainly say too that it's all tied together, right? Like free agents beget free agents, which begets wins, which begets butts and seeds, right? It's all connected. So, I mean, yeah, there's a different kind of butts and seeds scenario. Which, I mean, let's go back to a Rod going to Texas. That's very different. Or let's look at Felix Hernandez in Seattle. That is a butts in the seat, but that is a contract given purely for the gate, right? This is different. This will help the gate. Absolutely, it will. You're going to sell a lot of jersey, but a lot of what you're signaling is a far more important piece. And the thing that will put more butts in more seats than just getting a big name guy there is that this is somebody who can help you win. You're bringing in a manager who can help you win. You're sending a signal, exactly like you said, out to the rest of the league saying, hey, we are serious about competing. We are going to make a run at this and try to win a World Series, which is how you then lure in other big free agents. It's where you, how you lure in mid-sized free agents. It's how you get role players to come there, even though they might have reduced playing time. It might not be as much money. might not be as long as a con- of a contract. So... You give out the big ones to the guys you got to give the big ones to, right? And then you can convince people to do things (laughs) that they might not be willing to do otherwise. Like, you'd be surprised how many guys, like, if you can chase the ring or get the playing time or or maybe you have to sacrifice one to get the other, who are going to be very, very willing to come there, who wouldn't have been willing to do that a couple years ago because the team was still in a rebuilding phase. Now, they're making a run. Yeah, yeah. Irby, real quick before we get to Verlander. Without Bruce Bochy, I give Texas maybe a 25% chance of signing a guy like DeGrom. Bochy is the reason why they were able to lure him away from the Mets. Not just the money. Bochy as well. Oh, Bo- Bochy. Well, Chris Young, too. It, it, it sounds like a lot of these these um, press conferences that we're already starting to hear and the interviews that you're hearing out of the beat writers in, in Texas is that the vision that Chris Young is selling is playing a part. Uh, of what's happening, and it goes to exactly what Samantha just said. It's once that vision is built, well, it's, it's, these guys all talk to each other. Like it's <laughs> that's the crazy. It's like no, it's you, 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 you don't think Degrom and, and Heaney did their research of the guys they know that played under Bruce Bochy or or know Chris Young? Yeah, they did the research. Yeah, man, this is yeah, he's cool. He's tight. This guy you want to be with. All right, so let's flip it to uh, to Justin Verlander. Samantha, obviously, you know, the Astros had a rough couple of days there. Uh, you know, the Rangers get DeGrom and then they lose Verlander. Now, I don't think the Astros are going to skip a beat. Uh, that, that's a very deep pitching staff in Houston. They're going to be just as lethal next year as they, as they are with, you know, with, with, with or without Verlander. But in terms of the Mets, I mean, did they reach too much? Did they, did, did they overreact? Or are we expecting Verlander to go into his 40s 41, 42 year seasons, expecting him to do what he did last year. 
I actually don't think either of those things. I, they don't care. Like, Steve Cohen is the richest owner in baseball. So if there's an expensive toy that might be useful, he's going to buy it. If it doesn't work out, it's not a catastrophe for them. They'll buy another one. So I don't know that this is necessarily the Mets thinking that, oh, my gosh, you know, 41-year-old Justin Berlander is going to be a Cy Young winner. It's, hey, 41-year-old Justin Berlander could be a Cy Young winner, or he could be a really solid number two. That would still help us. They don't care if they're overpaying for things. That's not relevant to them. They don't operate in the same universe from the budgetary sense as most teams do. So it doesn't matter. And Houston, like you said, is going to be fine. But, yeah, for the Mets, it, it doesn't make any difference, right? Like, yeah, it's sure, it's going to be a waste of money if he gets hurt right away and doesn't contribute or is frequently injured or he's absolutely awful. But, like, you just want to say, yeah, he's probably not going to be awful next year. That feels like a relatively safe bet. And I don't think Steve Cohen cares if the Mets end up in the World Series next year if he paid for one year of Justin Berlander before he falls off a cliff in terms of performance. You know, I, I think I know the answer to this question, but I want to ask it anyway. Irby, I want your answer to this as well. Uh, who throws more innings next year, DeGrom or Verlander? Verlander. Yeah. Irby? Yeah, yeah, the money's on Verlander. Yeah. Um, DeGrom, I mean, we've seen it. He has to, yeah, you got to prove it. <laughs> He's got to, got to prove it. All right, Irby. Load management. <laughs> Irby, how about you? Um, what are your thoughts on Verlander to the Mets? I had to be done. Uh, you, you you see what your your opponents are doing around you just in their own division, and you needed to get this done. Uh, it's a smart move. Look, I, to, to Samantha's point, and this goes to the DeGrom money as well, everybody gets all freaked out about this. It's like, oh, my gosh, they're paying. For okay, first of all, it's not your money. Okay, it's the the ticket you're Thank paying. It's you. not that. Yes. Don't don't worry Thank about your you. ticket. It's not going to that. It's not your money. You're not. I didn't. I'm not making a donation to go. I'm not starting a a, a GoFundMe page to make sure we get. I love when I hear those. Like we're starting GoFundMe to keep Jacob and Grant. No, you're not. Like you don't understand the money here. Like it's unreal. I mean, it, no, no. I. It's not your money. It's a billionaire's money. It's multimillionaire's money. Let them spend their money how they want. And this is what's happened. You know, it, and this is what. We, we see this, and, and so, yeah, the Mets, I mean, it came down to you made a – probably had some interest in DeGrom, but once he goes, you couldn't afford not to replace the position. You couldn't afford not to replace this. So getting Verlander makes sense for what you guys are trying – what they're trying to do makes perfect sense. So go out and – what is it? What's the old uh, – <laughs> we always sell that with eBay instead of um, bidding up at the buy now. They hit the buy now. They got their guy. Don't look back. <laughs> All right, let's switch it over to the bats. Let's talk some bats, shall we? Uh, so the, the Guardians get uh, they get Bell earlier today, uh, which Samantha, just, just real quick, what, do, what are your thoughts on that one? Because I thought that was a fantastic move by the Guardians. Um, yeah, I mean, it's really surprising, obviously, that the Guardians, I mean, I can't even remember the last time they signed a free agent that was that expensive, unless it was renewing a contract for their own players, um, you know, Jose Ramirez, and, you know, internal homegrown guys notwithstanding. So this was sort of stunning. I don't think anyone was expecting it. Um, it, it part of the problem with the Guardians is there were not really any, like, specific holes in the lineup. So in order to improve, you're either taking somebody's job away or creating depth. 
So what they're looking to do here, I think, is spell Josh Naylor a little bit at first base because he has had some injury issues. A leg has been a problem, so it allows you to DH Naylor more often. Um, I, I mean, I like Naylor at first base. I think he's a good defensive first baseman. I, I hate to see that, but to spell him there, I think it's a good move. You're also getting a switch hitting power bat uh, that's more convincing than, than Naylor, at least in terms of putting the ball in play. So he's not taking Josh Naylor's job. There are two jobs there. There's first base and DH. There's nobody claiming that the second one there with any regularity. So if it allows you to put Naylor at DH a little bit more and spell him, or you get both of their bats in the lineup, then all to the good. So it's it's smart in that capacity just because for the Guardians otherwise, there's not really a whole lot else you can do that you can afford. Now you could go out and get some bullpen help. Of course, you could look at starting pitching depth, those kinds of things. But unless you're talking about like a backup catcher, like who are you going to replace? Not Jose Ramirez, Ahmed Rosario, um, Jimenez. You know, these are all tremendously good players. The outfield was outstanding. You're not replacing any of those people. You're going to bring Bo Naylor up to catch. So what what else are you going to do? And they got a little bit of cash from their minority investor, which is probably what allowed this to happen. And this is, I mean, speaking of putting butts in seats, this yeah. is a team that needed to signal to its fan base that it was willing to spend some money after the incredible performance their team put on a year ago that defied pretty much everybody's expectations. I kind of feel like they owed us this. And Josh Bell, of course, you know, the, the Guardian's notorious for vetting people's personal lives. Uh, before they sign them, you know, we only sign people with impeccable, impeccable reputations. And if you do anything, you're out of here. And Josh Bell, of course, is a, a universally a very good guy, so I'm sure that played into it as well. But you know, that that bat, man, they, they need it, and this is a, a way to fit it into the lineup without taking somebody's job. This is a gain for the offense, right? Like, like the offense isn't really losing anybody, but now they're gaining Josh Bell. This isn't a replacement. Like, this isn't replacing Pop in the order. This is adding Pop. Am I right on that? Right. There was no one to replace because you were kind of shuffling that DH spot around and using a lot of people who essentially, you know, Naylor would go there when he was having an issue injury-wise or... Ramirez ends up there or Oscar Gonzalez or whoever needs a day off in the field or whatever, you know, those kinds of things. So you're really, I mean, you're creating a platoon in the sense, but it's really more like a two position platoon because you didn't have a full-time DH and a full-time first baseman a year ago. So yeah, you're not taking anything away other than a smattering of bats from people who either would have been in the lineup anyway at a different position or people who are no longer part of the team or are considered role players. All right, Irby, anything on Bell before we get into uh, Bellinger and Trey Turner? I know, just I'm a big fan. Love love seeing the uh, the Deans at this pop, at this bat, um, the protection around. And uh, you, know, you talked about, yeah, with McNaylor as well and, and Jose Ramirez, just love adding another piece there that helps move them through that lineup because that is a team we saw what they did last year and adding another bat. Not a bad thing. All right, so let's get into Turner and Bellinger. Um, that'll that'll wrap up our baseball part uh, of the conversation. Uh, I tell you what, let's start with Bellinger. Uh, not because 
He got a bigger deal than Trey Turner, but I but I'd like to spend a little bit more time here on Trey Turner than Bellinger. But let's start with Bellinger, Smith. You know, the, the Cubs go out that you know they, they they take a chance. I mean, this is a guy that not too long ago was mashing the baseball all over the place, and you know, had a rough year last year. The Dodgers let him go. He he gets the one year with the coveted one year show myself, you know, prove myself, bet on myself contract. Uh, with the Cubs, one year, seventeen point five million. Uh, with the Cubs, uh, what do you think about this one? Is, is Bellinger banking on the wind blowing out at Wrigley all year long for him to get to reestablish his value? Well, I certainly understand this from Bellinger's perspective. I'm not sure I understand it from the Cubs' perspective, and that that's not because I don't think Bellinger can be fixed. I actually do think he can be fixed. So much of his problem was that he lost so much weight and so much muscle mass from that very, very serious that was sort of, I don't know, I guess undersold in a way, um, you know, injury that like it takes a long time to come back from something like that. And then he changed his swing to compensate for the loss of strength and then that contributed to the problem. So there's actually there's a really interesting episode which you're not allowed to listen to until you finish listening to our show. But go over to Effectively Wild. They had a really interesting roundtable with some hitting experts over there talking about how to fix Bellinger's swing that I I thought was really well done. Um, I think it's very doable. And from Bellinger's perspective, this contract makes a ton of sense. Of course, you're going to take a relatively high AAV against the performance that you put up a year ago uh, for a one-year prove-it deal. You say, I'm betting on me. And I'm betting that I can stay healthy. And it's an opportunity to showcase. Now, from the Cubs' perspective, I don't really get it. Like, whether or not, they clearly believe that they can fix Bellinger, which is fine. But, like, what are they doing? This is just like the Javi Baez deal a year ago. Like, you're supposed to be rebuilding, and yet you keep buying these expensive things short term. You know, it's not like they went out and signed, I don't know, Trey Turner and figured we'll be competitive again while he's still at the sort of peak of his ability to perform. What good does a one-year deal with Cody Bellinger do for the Cubs? What does that do for them? They don't have trouble putting butts in seats. So what on earth good does this do them? They're not going to win a World Series next year. So why on earth would you do this? It makes absolutely no sense to me. You know, I don't get that either. Because yeah, what, what was the what was the conversation coming out of the Cubs front office going into this offseason? How you know they were they were trying to essentially reboot reboot get back to contention and all this fun stuff. Okay, uh, so you sign Bellinger to a one-year deal. How does that help you do that? Is is this Samantha? Do you think is it is it a lack of effort by the Cubs, or are they not able to sell free agents on coming to 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 Wrigley Field? Well, I don't. I don't know. I mean, I think. I mean, if we're being kind, what we would say is that they do have guys who are in the middle. We'll call it the top middle of their farm system, who aren't quite ready yet, but you would expect to take on that role. So Bellinger's kind of a placeholder, right? So that makes sense. I understand why you're not necessarily going for a multi-year deal with a top-tier free agent because you have somebody in your system who you believe can play that role. However, when you know you're not going to be that competitive in the upcoming year, why would you do that? <laughs> like, that are, yeah. It's sort of like the Carlos Correa to Minnesota deal, except it makes even less sense because Minnesota thought they were going to the playoffs. Like, what are, what are you thinking here if you're the Cubs? Like, we just got to put a guy over there for a year. Like, the person in that particular circumstance is not Cody Bellinger, right? It's, it's like, I, 
I don't know. Pick anyone who costs half that much or a third of that much. It, it's weird. I think it's weird. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you. I, 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 maybe they're trying to sell him on playing for the Cubs long term, and it, t- it took a one year deal, kind of a kind of like trying out a new apartment or a new city. Like I'm just going to give this a shot. No, no, okay. All right, Irby, how- Oh, or like the infomercials where they're like, if you don't like it, you can send it back, and like, good luck, everybody for that. Uh, <laughs> just try it. You'll love it. Uh, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, Irby, anything you want to add here? <clears throat> uh, no, just from the, the Bellinger standpoint, I, I get what he's doing. Um, I think Boris made that very clear early on, this, and it's the only one doing this. We're going to hear this, or see this, here, sorry, see this from Joey Gallo as well. Take these uh, one-year deal and try to rebuild. Um, so, Bellinger, I mean, yeah, you pick a spot where you're going to play every day uh, and prove that you are bouncing back. So great for him. Cubs, same thing. Curious what you're doing with this. But placeholder before that talent, like you mentioned, man, before that talent comes up. So I guess that's the approach. All right, one last big fish. Uh, Trey Turner uh, right now has the uh, – largest uh what's, what's the way that's way i could say this samantha it's the largest uh overall contract so far um because of, of its years it's 11 years it's also the most years that's another way of putting it uh 11 years 300 million that's an average salary of 27.2 million for a trade turner and you know i, I gotta tell you uh i love this for the phillies now you guys know uh I had just moved to Florida when Trey Turner was breaking in with the Nationals. And I, I got that first look at him in, in, in spring training. The, the stadium was right down the street from my apartment, so I was able to go to a lot of Nationals uh, spring training games. There's another team at that complex that, that will remain nameless because they cheated in 2017, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, Trey Turner was a guy that I, I immediately looked at. I was like, oh, I like how he's barreling up the ball. I like how he's hitting. I, I, like, I like his swing. I like how he's making contact. Uh, here we are just a handful of years later, and he hits free agency. Now he's at 11 years, $300 million. Smith, anything surprising you there with Trey Turner's I'm salary? confused as to why you're saying you don't like this when you just praised him. Oh, I said I don't. No, I said I did. Did I miss? Oh, you do like that? Oh no, yeah, no, I love this for the Phillies. I love this for the Phillies. Oh, okay, I, uh, yeah, yeah, okay, oh, yeah. good. Because I do too, and I was like, explain yourself. Maybe you sound you're, like mis- you're saying you like this. <laughs> okay, okay. If okay, I cool. if I misspoke, I'm sorry. I love this for the Phillies. I love this for the okay, Phillies. I, I love this for okay. Trey Turner. Good, good. Because I I do too. I think this is great. I mean, look, yeah, it's it's a ton of years. It's a ton of money. Like. Look, guys, you don't bring in Dave Dombrowski to run your franchise so that you can, like, go make smart economic decisions. You go because you want to win a World Series. So you buy everything in sight. And also you have to compete with Steve Cohen, who also wants to buy everything in sight, who is also in your division. But I think this is great. I think, Trey, look, Trey Turner is one of the most projectable players out there. He is very much at his peak. He's the kind of player who I think it's very, very easy to look at him and predict what he's going to be able to do. He's also the type of player who is not going to have nearly the same kind of decline as, uh, let's see, I don't know, some other people who've already been given a lot of money. Or the guy who's still sitting there 
Aaron Judge, because guess what, guys? Aaron Judge is really, really good. But when when he falls off that cliff, it is going to be dramatic, and it's going to happen before Trey Turner does. So, no, I'm not saying Trey Turner is better than Aaron Judge. What I'm saying is that he's a guy who's going to be a good bet to be a really solid, productive player for a very long time. So it's, if there's a player out there or out there on this market where this kind of deal made sense and you know you needed to fill a hole because James Segura was going to be gone, I think it's good for the Phillies to add some speed. Um, it made a lot of sense in terms of, like, you know, he and Bryce Harper are, like, best friends, right? So we kind of knew that unless they were trying yeah. to lowball it, and I don't know when the Phillies under this regime have ever tried to lowball anyone, um, why wouldn't he go to the Phillies? They're a contender. Like, it just made all the sense in the world in every capacity. So, yeah, no, I think this is a great deal. I know it's a lot of money. You know, the AAV is actually not really that high. It's, it's significantly smaller than a number of other contracts that have already been signed. Uh, I think it's very fair. Love it for Trey. Love it for the Phillies. It's also worth noting that Trey Turner, uh, you, you talked about, you know, projections. His swing. Like, you look at Aaron Judge. Like, that is built for Yankee Stadium, that swing, the way he hits the ball. That's built for Yankee Stadium. It's not going to translate, say, in whatever San Diego is calling their stadium. Petco is what it used to be. I don't think it would translate in Arlington. Like it's, it's Oh, not- sure. Well, yeah, that's another piece. Like, that's not really what I was saying, but that's another good point. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's like, yeah, it's I mean, you have to think about can they, will their performance be, like, how much does Park Factors play into it? Like, Park Factors has nothing to do with what Trey Turner is going to be, but, but yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a great point. Irby, how about you? Where are you at here with Trey Turner? We've talked multiple times before. The hardest thing to do is go back and repeat what you did last year. In the Phillies, that was a night. It was a great run through the National League. And, uh, you know, they ran out of mojo in the World Series. Well, you know, it's one way to help that. <laughs> go out and get the smoothest slider in all of baseball. I love that. Uh, <laughs> that yeah. video is, a, that is priceless. <laughs> hey, what? I not not such a bad thing. You know, I Samantha, you said it perfect uh, a minute ago. Go out and add this speed. I mean, this is a guy who is pushing near 200 hits, over 100 runs. He's going to get 60 to extra base hits. He's going to steal close to 30 bases, and he's going to get on at a you know a 350 clip. I yeah yeah not I love it love it you know and and for the money too. It's it's crazy how use we are getting to contracts like what Trey Turner got. Because it really, when I saw that come through with the Phillies, Turner and the Phillies immediately thought, okay, great for them, great for them, another solid bet. And then I looked at the money, and it just kind of, oh, okay, it's not bad. Because it really isn't. It's it's where we are now. Again, as I said earlier, not your money, folks, so don't worry about it. It's where we are with that money. It's not bad. So, sure. Do it, and you could shovel out a whole lot of money for something a whole lot worse. So I love this, love this move, Turner, adding him to that, to that Phillies because we talked about that in October. That Phillies one through five, and what they were able to do, and why they were the reason that this team went through the National League like it did. And here you go, we had Trey Turner to that. Ooh, yeah, love this offense. Yeah, you know, and uh, Samantha, it seems like we say this annually, but right around this time of year, I wonder why. Um, Teams putting money back into the team is a good thing. Let's call it what oh, it yeah. is. It's a good thing. 
Okay. Absolutely. I'd, I'd much rather see these $300 million contracts than teams like Oakland and Tampa that pocket that revenue sharing money. Okay. I would much rather uh, see that. Uh, one more real quick one. Uh, this, this was, this one just came in as we were recording reminder. We record this show um, the night before it posts. So this isn't obviously isn't going to be live tomorrow. Uh, but Mitch Hannon. It's Tuesday guys right now. It's Tuesday. It is Tuesday. Now. It is Tuesday. Uh, yeah, so uh, Mitch Hanniger Is it Hanniger or Hanniger? Samantha, help me out. Hanniger. Hanniger. Okay. Yeah, Mitch Hanniger. He signs with the Giants three years, $43.5 million. That contract's in, in, it's par for the course for a guy like Han- Hanniger. Um, the question is, does that mean they're out of the judge sweepstakes? I think that's the question. Yeah, that's a really good question, and I'm inclined to say yes. That yeah. means they're out of the judge sweepstakes. So for whatever reason, whether it's that his camp had already backed off, or they decided, and this is my guess, is that they decided, like, wow, that's way too big of a commitment. Here's another way to solve this problem. Yeah. I mean, so now my question is just, like, is Jerry breaking out? Like, <laughs> maybe. Yeah, like, like, wait, like, wait for the Mariners counter. Like we said, the Mariners trade was going to kick everything off, and we were totally right. That's exactly what happened. So, like, now <laughs> we're waiting on the counter move from Jerry for a free agent that, you know, you knew you weren't going to sign. And yet, there will still be a Mariners trade tomorrow. Tomorrow, on Wednesday, December 7th, the Mariners are going to make a trade. I'm throwing that out there mm-hmm. because of this. Um, but, yeah, I mean, makes sense for San Francisco, makes sense for Hanegar, probably means they're out of the running for judge. Yeah, I would think so. Uh, I mean, granted, I mean, the reports earlier with a $360 million contract for judge was on the table from the Giants. Irby, I don't think they're signing. They're not going to sign Hanager and then, uh, and then bring in judge. They're just not going to do that. I wouldn't think. I, if you want to stand there and say, that's fine. Like I, and and you are in the majority and everything, but we live in a world where Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon signed for the same team in a 24 hour period. So I am not going to sit here. I know, I know, I know, but somebody else has got to do it this year, right? Like, yeah, no, no, no. I don't think, I don't either. I I don't think it'll be the Giants. I don't think they would pay big money. And and, and then it's not that big of a, it's not that crazy, but. I don't see them getting judge as well, but I am also not going to sit here and go. Absolutely, won't happen. No, no, I know that. I, there's actually now a better chance that the Mariners are about to give um, Aaron Judge one billion dollars. So I think there's a better chance of that now. <laughs> that's going to be that's going to be Jerry's overreaction. That oh boy, okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, I mean, tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm wrong. Can can I mean can can you sit here and say that no, no. chance of them going no twenty years, one billion? No. <laughs> I still do it. As much as I would love to rule that out, uh, I can't. I, I I can't. Samantha, can you can you rule that out? Because I can't. No, no. <laughs> I mean, of course not. Of course not. Oh boy, can't rule that out. Okay. All right, so that, that that that's that's the baseball coverage for tonight. Let let's have some fun. Well, fun for us, probably not fun for the people we're talking about. Uh, let's talk about the NFL here for a second because there's not really a game that we're going to preview. So let's let's open this up to a quick discussion. Samantha, let's start with you. If you could fire one person, now we all know about Samantha's. 
people I want fired list. Everyone following her on Twitter has seen it. We've seen it. This is right in your wheelhouse, but you got to pick one now. Like, like I know you got a list. You got to pick the one person on that list, and it may or may not be the top person on that list. You may find something. You may, you may actually find somebody down on the list you want to fire. But if there was one person you could actually fire in the NFL, who would it be? Mike McCarthy. He took mine. Damn it. <laughs> Although I kind of knew that was coming. <laughs> Why Mike McCarthy? Been on my list. He's the worst. I mean, like, okay, if you throw out, like, obviously we've thrown out, like, we're not talking about people who are just, like, monstrous humans who shouldn't be in the NFL. I'm talking to you, Deshaun Watson. Um, obviously, that's the first person everybody wants fired. Or, like, we can't all say Aaron Rodgers because he's obnoxious. So after those people, who do I just never want to hear about again? Mike McCarthy. He's a terrible coach. He has a tremendously good team, which you know, you just know he's going to do something to screw it up for them. All that talent, all that exceptionally good uh-huh, coaching uh-huh. from beneath him, and he is going to clock manage his way out of the playoffs. I just, I know it. He's such a bozo. I, I cannot believe this guy keeps getting hired. He's a terrible coach. All the success he's had has been because he has had talented rosters to work with. He's an idiot. Like, I, I can't with this guy. I, I can't. He needs to go. It just makes me absolutely insane. Like, you could hire, like, I don't know. Pick any coach who's, like, okay. Like, somebody who can kind of stay out of the way and not cause problems. And, like, pick that person. Or at least pick somebody who has the sense to be like, you know what? I don't know what I'm doing with this, like, you know, game management business. Like, hello, offensive coordinator. Would you like to take care of that? Like, but this guy, I mean, he's bad at everything, right? Like, he's terrible at the press. Like, He's terrible at the politics. He's terrible at the people management thing that we always talk about why so many coordinators fail because there's all this sort of management of a cohesive whole that you have to do that is not at all in their skill set. This guy has no skill set, let alone the skill set to do that. He doesn't have one. What, what is this man good at? If he is good at something, I don't know what it is. Um... Running down the clock when he has the ball and is down. Uh, besides that, I got nothing. You know, it's, are, do the Cowboys have the most talented roster in the NFL? Of course not. No. Of course not. <laughs> oh, I no. thought you were asking me. No, no, I was like, well, no. Let's not go that. Far. I was, I was oh. kind of doing. I, I was, I was doing a thing, but that's okay. Uh, okay, sorry, sorry. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was supposed to answer. <laughs> That was rapid fire, too. That was, no. Got it. Jeez, okay. Sorry I asked. No, of course not. Of course they don't have the most talented roster in the NFL. But but every single time I watch Mike McCarthy coach a game, and I see all the different, different ways he tried to lose it, or his roster bailed him out. And I think you could point to that last game against the Colts as one of those. All right, um... Is he the anti-Mike Riddle? Yes. Like, if you put one on yes. one end of, like, a chart and then one on the other, yeah. that's the exact opposite of Mike Rabel, right? Yeah. Okay. There, well, there, there's a couple of games where his roster uh, is the reason why they had the big one. This game and then the Vikings game. Because there's no because those are two anomalies, right? Like, these, those were such ridiculous final scores that you're like, what, what was I watching? 
Okay, that's that's the that's the talented roster for the Cowboys just taking over. In Florida Miami. State, Wake Forest in the nineties. Hey, see, there you go. This there time I knew you didn't want me to answer, but I did. <laughs> the point is, you watch this Cowboys team, and all you at least for me, all I I, I could every single week I think, what would Sean Payton do with this team? Yep. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> what would an actual, honest to God, winning football coach do with this team? Because it's it's even even when they win, it's like yeah, you, know, you could have gotten more out of them there, Mike. You could have, you really could have, and he'd be lost if he didn't have Quinn at defensive coordinator with all the out scheming that Quinn does every week. There ain't no telling where this Cowboys team would be. Irby, how about you? Who would you fire? Oh, man, this is tough because it's. I, I actually was sitting here earlier um, when thinking of this, and I was going to pick anyone that I need to to get Byron Leftwich a head coaching gig. Um, but now, um, thanks to today's, um, I, I, today's events, um, I, I want to get uh, John Wolford and Bryce Perkins fired. Just because Baker Mayfield quarterbacking the Rams and Sean McVay, that's just the train wreck I want to see. <laughs> Samantha, any thoughts on that one? That was good, Irby. I like that. That's good. I don't know. I mean, I feel like the Rams, like, there's nowhere to go but up. Like, I don't know. I guess, is this where we find it's out? the Rams. Just- there's always room to go further down. <laughs> I mean, it's like, well, we, and we talked about this earlier. We're like, okay, so the Rams are like the people who they go to the mall and they just have to buy something. It, it's not even like, I want a dress, so I'm looking for a dress. I want a book, so I'm looking for a book. If I need to buy an item, anything, I just want to buy something. It's the act of buying it. And here we are again, and this is why they have no draft picks. Like, I understand Baker doesn't cost you anything, but, like, you're just, like, collecting trash at any price, like, and look, I love Baker. I still, I would love to see Baker get some redemption. But like, I, this is <laughs> poor John Walker. He has been sacrificed in as a pawn in the game where we get to determine can the Rams get worse. Poor guy. <laughs> yeah. I, and, and part of it too is just. For the, the the fun that we will have on draft day, because the Rams falling apart like this, it's not like they go, "Hey, it's okay, we've got a high draft pick." No, nope. <laughs> the further you fall, the better the draft pick for the Lions. Again, you did get a ring out of it, so I can't I can't alt that. <clears throat> All right. Well. You know, I've gone through a few of these. And I feel like there's there there's a lot in the Texans front office that needs to be replaced. The problem is um the the current in there Nick, Nick Cesario, he got the gig in 2021. How much can, how much can we blame him? for where the Texans are here, Samantha. But something clearly needs to be done. That organization is a dumpster fire of, of nuclear waste. So I would love to fire the entire front office, but can we really blame Nick Cesario here? 
I don't know. I'm not sure. Like, look, the Texans robbed the Browns blind on Deshaun Watson. Yeah. And they got rid of the bunny, which was huge, because the bunny was like the green worm tongue of the Houston Texans whispering in people's ears and making bad decisions like the, the bunny needed to go. And so Nick Casario and the bunny both came from the Patriots organization. So make of that what you will. But the bunny is gone and the bunny was clearly the destructive force. So Jackie should be by the way, for those who are not aware of the nickname, um, he was the chaplain uh, originally for the Patriots and then came along and then spewed a lot of poison into a lot of people in the Texans front office and caused a lot of problems. So Nick Casario, I mean, I think it's kind of too soon to tell whether he's really the problem. I mean, I think he made a really good hire in, in Lovey Smith and they probably really fleeced the Browns on Deshaun Watson so the question becomes, can you improve through the draft? I mean, so far, they've not really had the opportunity to do this. You know, Watson was out for a year even before the accusations surfaced, which really wasn't his fault. My guess is they knew about that, and that's why there was so much problem with the contract in the first place, well before any of us knew about it. I'm sure the Texans knew, and that is why that contract didn't get done and why he ended up sitting out the year before that. So we're not blaming Deshaun Watson's gross creepiness on Nick Casario. Um, So I don't know. I don't know that I think they're necessarily a dumpster fire at this point. Got rid of Bill O'Brien. It got rid of the bunny. Let's let's see what Casario can do. I'm not unhappy with the things that I think he is personally responsible for. But I will say this. That's got to be a short leash, right? Because they've been real bad for a real long time. So <laughs> maybe the people who need to be fired there have already been fired. But I, I don't think I would sit on it very long if the problems continue because they did all come from the same source technically. They all came out yeah. of the Patriots camp. Kind of makes you wonder if it's the ownership that needs to be fired in Houston. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a possibility. <laughs> that's a, I'd say that's a more than likely possibility. More than likely, Only yeah. Fire owners. Um, oh yeah, no one said Dan. No one voted for Dan Snyder, um, which is kind of funny. Uh, <laughs> nobody picked Dan Snyder. I, I, I think. I, I um, think. I think that's because everyone's expecting Dan to just leave. Um, that's probably a lot of it. Actually. Well, also, like, I mean, that does, and somebody will get mad at me for saying this, and I assure you that I take the accusations against him very, very seriously. I know he's a very bad person, but like. I mean, there has been some humor to this that, like, I think we all appreciate. Like, he was selling expired beer to people. He was evading federal tax authorities on a yacht in the Mediterranean. Like, it was kind of funny, right? Like, I enjoyed watching the car wreck. I will continue to enjoy watching the car wreck. I don't know that I want Dan Snyder fired, like, tomorrow. Can't fire an owner anyway, but regardless. (laughs) Oh, if only we could recall owners like we can politicians, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Irby, there wouldn't be any left. That's also a good point. <laughs> There'd be like nobody there except for like the Ford family and like the Morris. Everyone else would have been booted. There would have to be some stipulations, right? Like 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 the owner would have had to just done something relatively egregious. I feel like you have to commit a crime. Yeah. yeah. Like you have to commit an actual crime in order to <laughs> Oh boy. Uh <laughs> Irby, anything else you want to add here before we get into our time capsule segment? No, 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 no. You guys are doing great. I, that was good. That was good. Um, yeah, no, you're good. All right. 
Okay, so let's get into it. Uh, just as a reminder, uh, the time capsule, we take an NFL team that hasn't done something in quite some time, or like Samantha did last week, they were the first team to do something in the year uh, that that was in. Um, we, we, we take that team, we take that year, and then we take a look back at pop culture uh, for that season. So, that being said, this week is my week. Um, and I had a lot of fun with this. I really did. Uh, I had a lot of fun with this. Uh, so, we're actually going to go back a little bit farther than we have the last handful of weeks. We, we actually noticed that we were in the, in the, in the early 90s. Uh, for pretty well everything. Uh, so this time, guys, we're going back to the 80s. We're going to the land of neon. What else was the 80s? Let's see, it was neon, it was hair metal. We're going, we're, we're going to have some fun here. All right, so in the year 1985, the Miami Dolphins reached the Super Bowl, losing to Irby's 49ers in Joe, Montana in 1985. That was the last time the Miami Dolphins have been in the Super Bowl. So what was life like in 1985? You guys know me. I'm, I'm movies. We'll, we'll do sports later. Let's, let's start with movies. Uh, what do you guys think was the top grossing film? From 1985. There's a good top 10 here. I'm just throwing that out there right now. There's a good top 10. Let's start with the first one. Let's see. Can you guys get the top grossing film from 1985? Harvey, this is probably going to be all you because we were so young in 1985 that none of us actually saw anything when it came out. So you have more movie knowledge than I do. Um, in terms of, like, what year was this made? So I think this is going to be all you. <laughs> we'll see. But I'm unlikely to be much of a contributor here. I'll think about it. 1980. See, because that's the thing. I wouldn't know if it was, like, 81 or 86. Oh, like, I, 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 I had that problem myself, like, looking through, like, the top. So I was like, wow, I really thought this particular movie was earlier than 1985. So I feel you on that. That's, that's, that's fine. Yeah. I can't, like, I'm trying to think. Because there's no, I don't think there's a, there's no Star Wars that year. Um, oh, I should have number one. I, I feel like number one's a slam dunk here. Also, thank you, Samantha, for Mike McCarthying me there, by the way, saying I should get all this. Like, well done there. <laughs> now I get fired if I don't get any of these. I was trying to say I had confidence in you. I know, I know. That's what I should <laughs> not have confidence in you. I have only one guess. I have one guess. I will contribute my one guess, and then I'm just going to start saying stuff. So, I don't know. I have one guess. Do you want me to say it, or do you want to say yours? You said you know the number one, and it's a slam dunk. So I, I feel like, unless I'm totally missing, I, I know a 1985 movie that did very well and still does very well today. Okay, what is it? Uh, that would be the original Back to the Future. Ooh. Oh, that's a good call. Ding, ding, ding. Irby, you have yeah. the top-grossing film from 1985 was, in fact... Back to the Future. So we've got the top one. That's really all you guys ever have to do is the top one. What about the top 10? Do you have any guesses 
for the top ten. Well, go, go um, with what you had, Samantha. What did you What did you have? I got a couple other guesses. Okay, my only guess was Beverly Hills Cop. Ooh, very good, Samantha. That was number two in oh, 1995. Oh, that was that good. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Back cool. to Back to the Future. I think you're right. Okay, I, I'm out now. I'm done. <laughs> I have no. Unless you just want me to guess, like. Oh, no, we're good. Hey, hey, it's okay. like F one. We just want one two. We're on the podium. We don't need to do anything else, right? We're right. Oh. Yeah, we don't care, right? So it's okay. It's okay. I've got I've got some hints. But Back to the Future grossed 190 million dollars in 1985, finished with a total of 210. Beverly Hills Cop, interesting enough, 157 million in 1985, but actually finished ahead of Back to the Future. By the time it was done, its total gross was 234 million. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Yeah, very interesting. Um, any other? Any? You guys have any other guesses here? Here in the top ten? Um, I I got some guesses just because of what was around at that time. I'm I'm gonna guess there's probably a Rocky film in there somewhere. There is. I feel like that's not there okay. Is. So there, this is like three is. or four. All right, I'm I'm gonna hold you to that. You got to guess which one, three or four. <sighs> I want to go 1985. Like, how quickly did they pump these things out? That's what I can't. Like, that's why I want to go three, just because of how quickly they were. I don't feel like they could. Because they started these in the 70s. Uh, I'm just going to go three. Uh, It is actually uh, Rocky Four. Rocky Four. Was number four now? Okay, here's the here's the here's a funny. I'm, I'm gonna give you guys a hint for number three. Number three is also a sequel and a franchise starring the principal character of Rocky Four. Oh, 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 Rambo. Which one? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the first blood part two or whatever there it is. <laughs> I, know, yes. I know this one because when I was like very, very young, my dad was always yelling, Yo, Adrian, I'm your worst nightmare at like literally everyone. He thought it was hilarious. That's awesome. <laughs> okay, yeah. So Back to the Future was at one, Beverly Hills Cop two, Rambo First Blood Part Two was number three. Rocky Four was number four. Uh, any other guesses in the top 10? There's one movie I'm looking for. The rest of these I don't think you guys can get. But I, there Give is... Give a hint. I'll, I'll give you a hint. It stars a lot of young child actors that became okay, big what I was, stars. Yeah. Yeah, I wondered if this was... I, I Yeah, this is one I love watching okay, as a kid. I guess, but I actually thought this movie came way later. See, I so. thought it came earlier. Yeah. I, I was with Bo. I thought this was earlier. I thought this was like 83, 84. Uh-huh. But, wow. Cool. Are we all talking about the same movie? You tell sure me. We, are. we all love this movie, right? <laughs> we love this movie. You Baby Ruth? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yep. <laughs> yep. Hey, you guys. <laughs> uh, what a great movie. Game. It's a great movie. But I, I really did think this was, I would have guessed, like, 87, 88. Okay. Yeah, so so the, the Goonies checks in at number seven. Okay. All right. I, oh, I'm going to guess, too, in the top ten that we've got to have some kind of Molly Ringwald in here oh, as well. Oh, yeah, that's a good 80s. Uh, that's, 
Uh, unless she was in Cocoon. I don't think so. (laughs) 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 All right. So I've never seen it, though. I can't say for certain that Molly Ringwald was not in that movie. (laughs) Yes, I've never seen it. All right. Uh I've already listed the first four. So number five is Cocoon. Uh, number six okay. is number six is Witness, which is a very weird. Yeah, I've her, never seen that either. Harrison Ford film where he plays just like this undercover cop that has a witness that was Amish. It's, it's all kinds of weird. Uh, the Goonies is number seven. Number eight. This was back before they had a billion of them. Number eight was Police Academy Two: Their First Assignment. Number nine was the. Dang uh, it! I should have done that. Just thrown out some police. Yeah, you know, some police academy, right? Like. Just throwing a dart. It's going to hit something. Yeah. Uh, no, number nine was Fletch, and number 10 was A View to a Kill. Uh, I don't know what that one is. Honorable mentions, number 11 is National Lampoon's European Vacation. Number 13, I can't believe it was all the way down at 13, was The Breakfast Club. Uh, oh, no- there's your Molly. Right okay, right. so there's Molly. Yeah, wow. Yeah. You didn't break top Number 16, quite possibly one of my favorite baseball movies of all time, Brewster's Millions. Uh, Interesting enough, (laughs) interesting enough, number 17 was E.T. the Extraterrestrial. The worst movie ever. Because it's the worst movie ever. Number 17. Stop. (laughs) That movie came out in 82. Absolutely terrible. Yeah, I think that's a re-release, by the way. That has oh. to be. That has to be. <laughs> okay. Oh, no, no, yeah. You know what? It is. Terrible. It is. It is the 1985. It says 1985 re-release right there. So that is my bad. Uh, number- like if there was a thing that I would throw fruit at the way people used to do with stage actors, it would have been AT. <laughs> number 20 was the Chevy Chase and... Um, damn it, I'm blanking on his name now. Spies Like Us. Who the hell... Why am I blanking on his name? But that, that's okay. That's fine. Uh, number twenty. I don't know what this movie is. <laughs> one, one more. Number 25 was St. Elmo's Fire. That was another Brad Pack movie that I th- think. Did, did that have Molly Greenwald in it? I don't remember. I don't think it did. I don't know. I've never seen it. I've only seen three of the top ten here, even. I've, <laughs> I've only seen Beverly Hills Cop, Back to the Future, and um, movies, obviously. Um <laughs> Most of these I have not seen. I mean, obviously I've seen Breakfast Club, but most of these I haven't seen. You haven't done Rocky Four? I've never seen any Rocky, and I never will. Hey, Creed's getting close. They've got three Creeds now. They're catching up on the Rockies. <laughs> I've never seen Halfway any there. of them, and my goal is to die having never seen any of them. Because at this point, it's way funnier <laughs> when people get mad at you because you've never seen them. Like, <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm getting more out of that than I will ever get out of watching one of these movies. So... No Rocky for me. Also, I don't care about boxing, and I don't like Sylvester Stallone. So there's also that. Uh, all right, let's let's try our hand with some music here. Uh, any guesses for the top ten Billboard hits from 1985? Oh man. Okay, so this is too early for me to be able to just rattle them off. Uh huh. But I can guess. Let's um, go. Okay. Let's see. Um, okay, so there's going to be Madonna for sure. Yes. I'm trying to think what song. Um, it's actually one of my it, favorite Madonna songs. Not my favorite, but one of my favorite Madonna songs is in the top five. What do you got? Um, so it's got to be like like a virgin or crazy for you or one of those. All right, you like got, that's the right album, right? You, so. got, you got number two, Like a Virgin by Madonna. 
Was yeah, number, and then number two, and wake me up before you go go. That That's got to be on there too. That was number. Th- it was number three. Do you have number one? Okay. I'll give you a hint. Number okay. th- the artist singing number three also released number one. Oh, careless whisper. There it okay. is. Yeah. Careless Whisper. All right, so we got the top three, Irby. Careless Whisper, number one. Like a Virgin, number two. Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go, number three. Number four uh, is not a hair band, at least not in my opinion, um, but is the only one that is close to being a hair band on this list. Very sappy music by this particular band. Sappy music? Sappy. Um, Over the top. Oh, I was going to guess money for nothing. That's not sappy or terrible. Well, I I will tell you this money for nothing is in the top 10. I'll get to it in a second. Oh, okay. Rolling. This is the only thing I can bring to the equation. They're kind of a hair band, sort of a fake hair band. Okay, so Ario Speedwagon checks in with Can't Mm -hmm. Fight This Feeling at number 13. Oh, but that wasn't the answer. Okay. No. They're sappy, though, right? Like, I think of them as Oh, they're sappy. sappy. They're sappy. Um, yeah. I mean, I kind of like them, but they are sappy. Um, okay, so I don't know. So it's kind of a hair band, and it's kind of sappy. Um, wow. Hmm. What are See, almost all the hair bands I can think of don't really show up until later. So there's... Like, I'm thinking of, like... Yeah, everyone I can think of is definitely hair bangers. Like, For, hair so bangers. they're like Survivor, but not. Like the, the like Survivor, but not Journey. No, they're not Journey either. They're they're kind of actually they're actually in between. They're kind of like I, I would put them in between Survivor and Journey. Do I like this band? Probably, maybe it's possible. Okay. I don't I don't think you would like this song. Okay, <laughs> but I don't like this song. I might like the band. They're halfway between Journey and wait, who was the other one? Survivor. Survivor. Foreigner. There it is. Is it Foreigner? There it yes. is. Okay. I do not like Foreigner. Absolutely <laughs> do not like Foreigner. <laughs> you got you got the band. Any guesses on the song? Yeah, I, I know the song. I think. I, well, I think I know it. Is it that? I want to know what love is. That is number four on That's the Billboard. Not a great song. Billboard. Yikes. I told you you That's wouldn't like it. <laughs> I want to know what love is by Foreigner is, in fact, number four in 1985. All right, Irby. Any guesses for five through ten? I no. I, like the only thing I've got. I, I'm glad that Samantha was throwing out Madonna and Wham because I'm gonna. It's uh, because of the number one movie, Power of Love. You yes, Lewis in the news. Lewis. Yes, yes. Oh, that. See, there's a good. That is a great song. Th- that that checks in at number fifteen. Right, right, uh, right behind. We built this city by Starship. Also a good song. Also a great. There, song. I. It, it, just doing the time. Like, is there? Is there a Holland Oats or a or a Duran Duran in here? I yeah. Um, Holland Oats checks in. Oh. Holland Oats checks in at number six. Which one? Oh, Irby, I, I'm going to give you five seconds. Oh, I ain't going to get there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. So, 
Samantha, as usual, you did fantastic with the music. Uh, you got most of the top. F- you got actually did get the top four. Uh, checking in number five is "I Feel for You" by Chaka Khan. Oh, I was not going to get that. Okay. Number six is "Out of Touch" by Hall and Oates. Oh, okay. Number okay. seven, "Everybody Wants to Rule the World." Tears for Fears. Mm, okay, so okay. got that. Okay. Number eight, those that have listened to this program before has heard this many times. Money for Nothing by Dire Straits. Ah, yeah. Dang it. Madonna checks we in. We said that one. We got that. You did. You do. I just didn't say which 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 number it was. Uh, Madonna. Oh, wow. Okay. Madonna checks in for the second time in the top 10 with Crazy For You. That was one heck of an album by Madonna in 1985. Uh, number 10 is is a rather annoying song that everyone knows called Take On Me by Aha. I said that <laughs> and no one reacted. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I must have missed that. Um, I like that song. I think it's good. It's, yeah. it's kind of goofy, but I like it. I'm going to have that on my head all night. There you go. <laughs> Other... Other notables, uh, we already talked about We Built the City and The Power of Love. Uh, you also have um, Heaven from by, by Brian, Whitten, uh, Brian Adams. You've got Everything oh. She Wants, also by Wham. Um, as, as we discovered, as everyone listening to the program discovered a couple weeks ago, uh, a favorite of the program, Rhythm of the Night by DeBarge. Checks yes. in at number 32. <laughs> Excellent stuff. <laughs> what I really find just downright wrong is the the you know the the, the arena rock hair bands just not very well represented. Uh, Pat Benatar, we belong at number thirty nine. is about as high as they get. Um, oh, okay. Hey, I can play that Brian Adams song on the piano, and I played it so much on our piano, like when I was a kid, that my mom asked me to stop. <laughs> I think I was like awesome. eight when I learned how to play this. So it would have been years later, like after the song. But it was in one of those like... It's a fantastic song. Books that I had. So I, I was very into playing it on the piano. And apparently I did so excessively. So, <laughs> sorry, mom. Uh, Never Surrender by Corey Hart, by the way, checked in at 44. Another one of my favorites. Oh, um, yeah. That's a, that's a good song. I forgot about that song. All right. So we know that uh, the 49ers beat the Dolphins in the Super Bowl that year uh you guys want to take a guess on the world series champion in 1985 um yeah i think wait a minute okay so this is it's it's got to be kansas city right i'm just trying to remember who they played it is the Um, kansas city royals they defeated the st louis cardinals Thank yeah. you. I don't think I was going to get there on that half of it. Okay. Um, <laughs> the I-70 Showdown Series. The what? I-70. That's the, what connects the two cities. Yeah, that's sorry. I just do that one. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard that before. I-70 I- Series. What, what a joke. So the, uh, the, the 1985... NBA champions, this will be the 1984 season, uh, spilling over into 1985. Uh, that was that was the uh, the latest installment of the Boston-LA. Who Lakers won? Lakers. The Lakers. No shock that Samantha got that. That's, 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 that's just how we roll, 
Samantha and I, we are NBA fans. All right, here we go. 1985 NHL champions. I will give you a hint. They have been mentioned in the time capsule before. I believe it was it was a couple weeks ago. It was it was the team that couldn't win to save their lives. No, hang on. It was the team coming off of a stretch where they couldn't lose in the early 90s. This is 1985. This is in the beginning of that stretch. Anyone have a guess? Oh, yeah. That'd be uh, Edmonton. Edmonton Oilers. Yeah, it's the same answer as last time. Some, talked about hockey. some guy named Gretzky. That's so weird. <laughs> um, this, is, this is the with Wayne. This is with Wayne Gretzky, right? Yes, <laughs> yes. Okay. All right, so some other notable events uh, of 1985. Uh, here's some interesting television series debuts. Growing Pains debuted in 1985. The, the Golden Girls debuted in 1985, as did Larry King Live. All right. Uh, hang on. I guess there we go. Uh there's some interesting technology from 1985 because remember this is this is right around you know Atari and Nintendo and computers and all that fun stuff. Uh, Commodore released its Amiga personal computer in 1985. This is a computer that had a 13-inch screen. It featured a floppy disk drive and 256 KB of RAM. That's right, kids. Before gigabytes. And megabytes, there were KBs of RAM. Uh, that went for $1,595 in 1985. Also in 1985, wow. Steve Jobs <laughs> left Apple to form Next Computer. Microsoft released, I, I talked about this in my first time capsule, Windows 3.0. Microsoft in 1985 released Windows 1.0. It cost you $95. It was very poorly received. Uh, in fact, the New York Times likened it to, quote, pouring molasses in the Arctic slow. <laughs> it's probably very true. Uh, <laughs> yikes. Nintendo released the, the, the much-anticipated sequel to its 1983 Mario Brothers. It releases Super Mario Brothers in 1985, which featured being able to control players Mario and his brother Luigi to rescue Princess Peach from the evil Bowser. Coca-Cola abandoned New Coke in 1985 and went back to its original coca-cola formula uh and here's a fun one because we've all played this game pictionary debuted in 1985 oh I, yeah that's right i remember this as being and it was wow. super annoying it was Bo. this would bother you too i think anyway the like the obsessive part of you would have had the same problem with this that i did oh, because yeah. you could never fully erase those stupid little boards <laughs> no, you can't. <laughs> you can never get them truly clean, and it used to make me insane. Like, as a small child, like, I had a lot of problems with that. I mean, you probably did, too. It made me absolutely not. Are, are we calling this early generation dry erase, and it didn't go so well? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, like, proto, proto dry erase, which really, it, like, 80% of it erased, and then 80% on top of 80% of each time until, like, all the little 
boards were so messed up that, oh, yeah, they used to make me so crazy. Uh, <laughs> you know what's funny? You can actually recreate that phenomenon if you, if you leave things on a dry erase board for, say, a month or two. That's true. That's true. You could yeah. you could recreate this if you mm-hmm. if you if you're, right, you're, right. If you're jonesing for some eighty five Pictionary, just just leave some I dry am, erase on there. <laughs> I was upset enough by it the first time, <laughs> but but that's true though. Like we didn't you learn that in like remember like college dorms the dry erase boards on the doors. Oh yeah. Like I feel like that's where we learned that because somebody would write something funny and you're like, I'm leaving that up there and then it's just yeah, off the board. <laughs> they've got some things like they've got some like chemicals you could spray now that makes it a little easier to remove. But you know, that's still not as good. Uh, <laughs> as erasing it when you need to. <laughs> Pictionary. Oh man. Nineteen eighty five. Pictionary. I was more of a categories guy myself. I'm actually curious because at that time, Family Ties was kind of a thing. So I, I guess Growing Pains was a rival network's attempt to oh yeah to go because Growing Pains Growing Pains was obviously debut in 1985, just like I said. But like Family Ties was a thing in like in 1980, 81, 82, somewhere around there. So I'm wondering if if Growing Pains was, was a rival network's response to Family Ties. Yeah, I mean, I figure it either has to be that or it's, like, the one that's on immediately after that because it worked once, why not twice? You know what I mean? Like, they're either back-to-back, like, those TGIF shows used to be where they were all a little bit similar. Um, or, yeah, it's somebody's competitive product. I don't know because I wouldn't have seen either of those shows until something more like 1987 or 1988. So I don't really know. One more but, one more, fu- one more fun. That would have been high to the Cosby Show as well. It was the high of the Cosby Show. Yeah, that was that was also a big thing. One more fun note: uh, in 1985, the Bears go 15 and one and win the Super Bowl. In 1984 to 85, so the the, you know, the, the 85 Super Bowl season, uh, they were 10 and six. So they actually had a five game increase in the 1985 season, which is interesting to me. Super Bowl shuffle. <laughs> no doubt that is eventually going to make its way on to the time capsule segment. But I'll do it, man. <laughs> oh, boy. All right. Well, for now, that's going to do it for us. Don't forget to hit that like button, leave us a review, give us a subscription, even. Tell your friends, help us with that algorithm. Get the word out about lollygagging in our fun time capsule. (laughs) Until next week, watch some football. It's good for you. Okay.